Dr. Jesse Schnall is a 2022 John Monash Scholar, and he's a medical doctor with a Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery with honours from Monash University. He has interests in bioethics, health policy, and the overlap of mental health and public health. During his medical studies, Jesse worked in health data analytics with quantum health outcomes, interned at the World Health Organization office and studied philosophy at the University of Oxford. He's authored over 20 articles across peer-reviewed academic journals, think tanks, and the mainstream media. Most notably, Jesse has co-authored a major international policy report on psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Jesse is using his John Monash scholarship to undertake a Master of Public Health at Harvard University, where he joins me now from Boston. Jesse, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Awesome to be here. Okay, so Boston and Harvard, how long have you been there and what's it been like? We'd be just on uh, two months at this stage. So got here sort of at the end of the American summer in mid to late August. Um, mm -hmm. It's now starting to get a little bit colder, which I feel woefully underprepared for, um, but it should be interesting. Yeah. And it's been, yeah, it's been fantastic. I mean, I certainly can't complain about anything being in the incredibly fortunate spot that I'm in. Uh, get to sort of learn about and study things that are very important to me and, and very interesting in the world of public health. Um, do some work that I'm very excited about. Uh, and also just enjoy and explore uh, the place that I'm in, which is spectacular. Um, mm. The US is obviously a very interesting place, particularly at the moment. So it, it's a very interesting time to be here as well. When you when you arrived, was that the first time in the US or had you previously been there? Yeah, I've, I've been here a few times before. Um, I spent six weeks uh, in New York five or six years ago when I was a student um, doing one of those uh, internships that you mentioned in that in yes. that very very flattering <laughs> introduction, um, and and spent some time in Seattle through. as well. Yeah, I spent some time in Seattle as well doing um, my medical elective too, and then I've done a little bit of travel around the area. So I've been lucky enough to spend um, a couple a couple of trips here in the US, which has been fantastic. So when you were um, thinking about the scholarship, obviously it was your your choice of of universities. What made you decide upon Harvard? Yeah, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I did think pretty carefully about it and look at quite a few different options. Um, and, and I'll stress that there are a lot of, you know, a lot of incredibly fantastic universities out there and it would have been an amazing thing to be able to do anywhere, including at a lot of places in Australia. Mm. Um, but I think the key things that drew me to Harvard were uh, the master's program here has sort of the option to, or actually the um, requirement to specialize in a specific track. And one of those tracks was health policy, which is one of the things I'm most interested in. Uh, so that was point one. Point two, there were quite a few different um, electives and subjects you could do in the mental health space internationally. And one of them, which I actually just finished a week or two ago, um, is led by you know some of the global leaders um, in the global mental health space. So that was sort of a unique opportunity that Harvard would offer. Who are they? Yeah, Vikram Patel is the and um, Shekhar Saxena are the, are the two professors that run that course, and they actually mm. uh, jointly co-authored uh, a commission that was done with The Lancet, which is sort of one of the leading medical and public health of journals course. out there, um, looking at global mental health. So that was a that was a distinctive chance to sort of learn from some real leaders in the field um, that Harvard offered. 
Are there many Aussies up there with you, studying with you? Yeah, there are actually. Um, in my course, actually, unfortunately, there's only, I think, just two of us at the moment. There may be some that I haven't met. You're outnumbered. Um, mm. Yeah, we are outnumbered. Um, but there is a good community of Aussies around at Harvard, which is which is really great. Um, I think that's one of the beautiful things about being Australian is we just sort of gravitate together no matter where you are in the world. Um, and it's, it's amazing to have a community when you're so far from home. So I'm very grateful and appreciative of uh, the time that I get to spend with the big Aussie community here in Boston. And how, um, how long is, is your course? It's just one academic year. So it actually ends up being, I think, nine and a half months, uh, which sounds quite quick. Um, and, and I'm sure it will go very fast. It's, it's full time. Is it full time? Full time. It is full time. Yeah, it's full time. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so just the one year. So let's, let's go back a bit to, to when you were probably finishing high school to go into, to go into medicine is obviously a big challenge. It, was that something that you always wanted to do? Did you know during your final year of, of school that that was the pathway or was it a little bit unknown? Yeah, that's a great question, and there there, there are many years of uh, um, I don't know, angst is probably too strong, but many years of inner doubt behind that question on my end. Um, no, I, I had planned. To, yeah, I'd planned to study medicine. Um, I think since I was in sort of early secondary school, um, yes. and there were a few reasons behind that. Um, I had my grandfather was a doctor, my dad's a physiotherapist. It was in the family. Yeah, I think I had a lot of inspiration from them, and I, I had some, you know at least for me, some difficult experiences medically when I was a teenager, not in any significant way, but, you know, a lot of musculoskeletal injuries and things that sort of gave me a little bit of understanding of what it might be like um, to struggle with health issues, but sort of yes. certainly nowhere, nowhere on the scale of what a lot of other people go through, obviously. Mm. I'm going to presume if you were thinking about medicine, you were a reasonably good student, Jesse. Yeah, I was. I had my ups and downs, but uh, academ academics was always important in our family, and I, I liked to learn, and I was curious about understanding things. So I think, look, I think like most people around middle school, I probably <laughs> probably didn't do as much homework as I should have. Um, yeah. But by the time VCE came around, I, I had a lot of really good guidance from uh, people around me to, to buckle down and study. Um, so yes, mm. academic academics was a big thing uh, for us in our family, which which I'm very grateful for. And so after you after year twelve, what um, okay, and you thought okay, well, medicine's it. You finished year twelve. What did you do then? Well, I was I was yeah. I, th I just think the the last point I suppose is that um, I did have my doubts about medicine. I was very yes. interested in a lot of the humanities in in philosophy, and I, I think that's kind of come through in some of the other stuff that I've been lucky enough to pursue, sort of around medicine. Um, but yeah, I did I did decide to pursue medicine, and that was a very you know very thought through decision. Um, I took a year break actually after school. I did some some stuff overseas, a bit of volunteering, yep. a little bit of work, um, and then came back and started at Monash in uh, 2014. Okay. And how did you find that course? Oh, it was great. I mean, it's challenging for sure, but a lot of a lot of study and work is challenging and, and that's not unique to medicine. Um, it's very, very intellectually rigorous, I would say. There's a, there's a lot to learn and there is almost always a right and a wrong way of doing things. Um, and that can be both, I suppose, a blessing and a curse. Um, it can be a curse because you really can't, um, you really can't uh, pretend to know what you're doing. It's very obvious if you don't. Um, but, and I'm, I'm, sa I'm saying that without, without using the word that I would ordinarily use, but you, 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 have, to, you have to really know what you're doing. Um, yes. And I suppose that the blessing part of that is, um, at least depending on how you think, 
is that there actually is an answer to most questions. There is a right and a, a wrong answer. And that can be quite comforting um, because there is some science behind what you do. So I liked, I really liked that aspect of medicine and I loved working with patients as well, obviously. And so I mentioned in my intro that you've got interests in bioethics and and health policy, particularly um, mental health and public health. I'm keen to explore that. How did that um, manifest itself? Yeah, well, there's a few things uh, there, I guess. So bioethics, I think that was sort of my way of kind of um, bringing just the intellectual interest I had in, in, in things like philosophy into medicine and giving it kind of a practical real world application that was also relevant to the work or the study that I was doing when I was a student and then the work that I was doing when I was working as a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, medicine can be very cerebral and micro. You're looking at individual people, um, individual problems. So to bring that kind of big picture, what are we doing and why, to the to the scene was, was really interesting um, and fulfilling for me. And then mm -hmm. the mental health side of things was actually only something that I really came to um, in the last few years. A lot of the work that I did in research and extracurricular work was around infectious diseases before that. Uh, and I suppose mm. like a lot of people with mental health, I had my own personal experience with with the, those sorts of things, uh, with, mental, okay. with mental illness. Um, and I had a little bit of experience with people who were close to me dealing with issues in that space. And I think equally was beginning to find psychiatry really intellectually fascinating. Um, did a yes. rotation in psychiatry as, in my first year as a doctor. And yes. I suppose in its own way, it just kind of became clear to me that this was a great combination of, you know, a personal connection, intellectual curiosity, and a really important um, public health issue. Uh, and once mm. I kind of put uh, one, two, and three together, um, it struck me as the, the right path to go down. And you see that as being the focus of where you're going to take your career or is it still up in the air, a bit of unknown? Yeah, I, I suppose I'm, I'm partly figuring out exactly what direction mm. the next few years and, and the longer term will take now. But I, I definitely think that will be, um, if not the focus, then certainly a focus. Um, I... And thinking about what I'm going to do in terms of my clinical training and psychiatry is obviously a very a very big option there that I that I would really love to try and pursue, um, and I would be you know honoured to have that responsibility in people's lives. Um, but equally, there's this huge policy, economics, health system component, not only to mental health but to health in general. And so I think for me the big the big thing I'm trying to figure out is how can I uh, split my time and efforts across both the clinical work the public health work, the research work, both in the near term and in the long term, um, to have a career that really does something meaningful for the public um, and also one that's fascinating and interesting. Jesse, you're a very you're a busy man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where you get all the time. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm probably making myself sound a little bit busier than I am. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, had, I have and have had a lot of support um, and a lot of uh, just a lot of really good fortune and guidance and support from people in my life, both personally and professionally. And um, I credit I credit a lot of that to, to others. I should point out you are not a psychiatrist, but it's obviously something that, that interests you, correct? That's exactly right. And, and I think that is an important um, disclaimer. I'm not a psychiatrist and I haven't trained in psychiatry other than doing a rotation as a junior doctor. So I'm not mm -hmm. on a psychiatry training program. Um, yes. I actually worked yeah. two years as a doctor and the first was my medical intern year, which everyone does in Australia. 
and the second was an internal medicine year. So um, it's a little bit of a change from what I was doing, mm. I suppose, if I, if I do go down that route in, in the future. So what made you apply for the scholarship? And I'm keen to know what that process was like from application to interview to, it's probably a few interviews, to getting the, the phone call or the email to say that you're in. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a, it's an awesome process. Uh, what made me apply? Um, well, I'd known that I wanted to try and uh, pursue a Master of Public Health at some yes. point in my career, pretty much since I started um, medicine. Um, yep. just because I was so interested in the overlap of all the disciplines and because it seemed like such an important part of health uh, and such an important thing to be doing as an effective person within the healthcare system. And I had done a lot of research into different places to go and, and I felt like potentially going overseas was a really interesting way to get that education and also learn about another healthcare system at the same time. Um, and so trying to find the sort of means to do that and the support to do that was a key factor, but also finding... I suppose, uh, the guidance in a community of people that could help me uh, learn and I, I could learn from and give back to as part of that process was something really interesting to me. Uh-huh. And so the Monash Scholarship and Foundation was something I'd known about for a while. Um, and once I sort of started looking into it in a bit more depth and speaking to people, it just struck me really immediately how amazing the community was. Um, I really, it, the mission of the foundation really resonated with me. The idea yes. of giving back to Australia, um, of being funded by an Australian scholarship, of returning to Australia to do something here, that was actually really important to me. Um, and there are other scholarships out there that offer similar opportunities in terms of support, mm. um, and they're obviously fantastic as well. Um, but the fact that this was Australia's scholarship was important to me, so I like that aspect of it. Um, and in terms of the process, yeah, yes, what was that? What was that like? How was that? Was yeah, it nerve wracking? Oh, it was a bit of everything, I think. Um, no, I mean, overall, it was really an amazing thing to go through. Um, I think for me, it was sort of a probably an eight to nine month process from the time I started really thinking about applying to the absolute end of it um, and giving myself that space of time to really think through uh, some of the questions you're asking, actually, which is, you know, who am I? Why do I want to do this? Mm. Um, how is this going to help me do something valuable for Australians uh, and maybe, you know, the global community? Um, and why do I need this award to get there? Um, that was a really, really valuable and important thing to go through to actually figure out the right time and the right way to uh, frame my aspirations and my motivation. Um, yeah. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that that's a key part of this entire process because those are important questions to understand um, before you embark on on something like this. So it was it was demanding in its own way, but I think it was really really rewarding. Um, and one of the and best. How'd you, parts how'd you find out that you got it? Oh, I got a I got a phone call. Um, I was actually phone off call. sick that day. Yeah, so I was walking yes. from, the do- from ironically from the doctor, um, and had a phone call while I was walking home. So it was one of the better phone calls I had in my I life. I bet. Yeah, so if, you, uh, if you weren't well. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it certainly helped me get through the rest of the day. Um, yeah, I was just notified by phone uh, and it was just a really, um, really fortunate and special moment um, and certainly one that I won't be forgetting for a long time. I've spoken to a few scholars who have said that COVID clearly has got in the way and interrupted their studies where courses have gone online and, and whatnot. Has, has COVID upset the apple cart in any way for you? heading over to Harvard? 
So not in a, not in any significant way, um, and I think that's very very fortunate in terms of just for my personal situation in terms of the timing. Um, a lot of people that I have met here who started their uh, programs a year earlier than I did, um, or perhaps even prior to that, did have significant disruptions. Um, but I think by the time this academic year started, the restrictions had primarily loosened. Okay. Yeah. So I've been lucky in that regard. I mentioned earlier uh, you've done some work on psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Now that is a mouthful, Jesse. It is a very, it's a very big mouthful. <laughs> what is that? In a layman's terms, tell tell our audience what it is you're doing in that regard. Yeah. So in t- I guess two two important disclaimers um, before we sort of dive into yes. that. One, I'll just say I'm not working or researching in that space currently. So I think that's an important thing to say. Okay. Um, and the other is. That- Yep, and that I haven't worked in that space as a clinician or a researcher before either. So it was really in a policy um, and a little bit of advocacy work sort of capacity. So those are just two okay. that for me. Good. Um, in terms of what is psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, uh, it is to, it's essentially psychotherapy, which is a broad term for talk-based therapy um, for mental illness, delivered at the same time as a patient being under the influence of a psychedelic uh, drug um, and the drug being used as a, as a medicine, essentially, or as a, a therapeutic um, agent okay. in this context. Tell me more. Yeah, so essentially the two major um, drugs that we're talking about when we discuss psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy are psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms, um, and MDMA, which is, I mean, sort of commonly known as ecstasy in terms of its recreational use. Mm-hmm. Um, and the basic model is that with, and this is very much oversimplifying, but the basic model is that um, people will have a series of psychotherapy sessions uh, in terms of lead up and then uh, integrating the work afterwards. And in the middle of those will be a long session of supported psychotherapy where they are given one of those substances at the beginning of the session and the psychotherapy actually takes place while they are under the uh, sort of effect of those medications. Under medical supervision, of course. <laughs> Under a lot of medical supervision. So within with uh, with a lot of framework and infrastructure around this, um, so that would include being supervised at the time, that includes the lead-up sessions that I was speaking about um, just before, mm. that includes the integration work afterwards. So that just means more sort of sessions afterwards to work through what's occurred in that session. Um, and the basic... Uh, sort of indication or purpose of these therapies, which are all uh, in research stages mostly at the moment, um, is to be used for people with a specific um, set of mental illnesses that are resistant to existing treatments. So these are patients who have been treated with first, second-line therapies for major depression in the case of psilocybin mostly um, or, you know, things like post-traumatic stress disorder in the case of MDMA, and they Mm -hmm. haven't achieved uh, remission um, they haven't achieved a significant enough clinical benefit with those treatments and okay. there are essentially no real options left. So these are mm. uh, experimental therapies that are being researched for their applications in those cases. Are there any, uh, Jesse, it might be hard for you to say, and again, there's caveats all around this, but are there any early results from some of the, the research? Is it effective? Is it not working? What, what can you tell us? Yeah, there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of um, evidence out there, and there are a lot of clinical trials that are taking place at the moment. There are some in Australia, and there are a lot around the world. Um, 
the evidence is essentially for MDMA, there's been, and I may be slightly out of date on this, there's been one published phase three clinical trial, which is sort of the, uh-huh. yes. the, the big study that you need to get approval um, in the set of clinical trials that happen for, for a drug approval process. And that did show a benefit for people with PTSD. And with psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy, primarily for the treatment of depression, there have been several phase two trials um, which look at efficacy and they also look at safety, but they're not quite at the phase three level um, where you are really sort of at the sort of last stage to get a drug approved. Um, And they have shown, uh, I believe there have been some mixed results, but in general shown benefit. Um, And really, really the point that they are at is that we need we need uh, there need to be phase three studies to really prove um that more research either way exactly but the early results are promising and and that's why again promising in this narrow indication of treatment resistant cases with all of this support and therapy and medical infrastructure around it no one is being given these medications to take home and take on their own um, or even just to take with supervision as one isolated setting. Right. Okay. Well, t- yeah. Tell tell us more about that. How to, how how that works. Yeah. So it was it was essentially what I was kind of um, sort of doing a fairly hash job of explaining before. Uh, you would obviously there would be strict sort of inclusion and exclusion criteria around who yes. would be a good candidate to have this therapy, um, and then you would have a set of sort of sessions with uh, supervising therapists, which would include a medical clinician. Um, to uh, prepare you and to do some groundwork. And then you would actually have the session typically in um, or almost always actually in a sort of medical scientific uh, setting. Um, Usually it's often in a room that's actually set up with, you know, furniture to look quite comfortable, like a sort of living room um, Mm. and with vision. And that would go for, depending on whether you're using an MDMA assisted psychotherapy or a psilocybin assisted um, several hours uh, okay. And then, and then you would have follow up sessions afterwards to work through the, the sort of uh, material from that session as well. So presumably, it's a it's a reasonably small dose. Is that how it works? They're doses that are intended to actually achieve like a subjective experience of being on the medication. So they're not okay. yes. they're not they're not sub. I guess it's worth explaining like what the what the sort of theoretical mechanism is behind how this works, um, which is primarily that these medication or drugs medications whichever term you like to use put you in the sort of subjective mental state where the therapy itself um, can be most effective so they are kind of an adjunct to the talking therapy rather than a medication that just fixes the problem on its own if that if that makes sense yes uh, i think so. and so they are doses that achieve like an actual subjective experience of being on the drug they're not sub sub awareness doses where you wouldn't know um, that you had been actually given uh, a substance. So for psilocybin, it's I think it's 25 um, milligrams usually. Uh, and for MDMA, I think it's 100 milligrams. If that's of any... Of any- it's, a, it's, a fas- <laughs> it's a fascinating area of, of medicine that... Yeah, I mean, it's really... Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really sort of become a very... Um, a very interesting and uh, topical and... Um, sort of uh, new thing for people to talk about at the moment, although it's it's worth noting that there was a lot of research, particularly with the use of psilocybin um, and LSD in the 60s and 70s uh, mm. before, these, before these substances were criminalised. And then the research sort of went dormant for several decades and there's been now a resurgence in the last probably 20 years um, of the research again. Amazing. So 
Um, I, I mentioned earlier that um, you've obviously done a little bit of philosophy, uh, and I think you did that at Oxford. Is that right? Yes, um, I spent a term there in uh, oh, must have been in twenty seventeen, so six five years ago. What was it, what was it like studying at Oxford? Uh, it was fantastic. I mean, again, I I feel very fortunate. Um, I feel I'm saying that a lot, but that but that's I guess how I feel and. You know, it, it, there is a lot of luck involved in getting to have these sorts of um, opportunities, and, and I'm very mm. conscious of that. Um, but no, it was fantastic. It was a it was a really interesting change from medicine. Um, it was a very different style of learning and a very different sort of thing to be thinking about. But um, those questions that you know philosophy very broadly seeks to kind of answer uh, the, the whys of things and and the hows. Um, mm. Uh, really incredibly interesting for me and I think that they're just a fascinating thing to explore and they have a lot of carryover into medicine and into healthcare, particularly in ethics, and that's sort of why I've you know, devoted a, a bit of time to research and work in that space. I've got a note here saying that you are mentoring other students that you have led in the past, the, the Monash University's official academic mentorship program. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I I was doing that when I was a student. Um, I'm I'm not anymore because it's a student it's a student role. But um, uh-huh. essentially, what it is is it's the official mentoring program for the Monash Medical School and Society, um, and it's run by the final year students, and they provide mentoring for students in their third year out of five. Yeah, uh, and that's their first year in hospital, so it's a big change that year. Um, yeah, and it's 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 really Did you just enjoy that. Yeah. What was that like? I loved it. I mean, I. I've benefited immensely from guidance that I've had in my life, um, both from formal mentors, but also just from family and friends and, and people who've had wisdom that I didn't have. And so the chance to actually give some of that back um, was amazing and one that I was very, very grateful for. I had a great time doing that and it's, an, it's a fantastic program. So in terms of where you are now, Jesse, you're in, you're in Boston, you're at Harvard, you started in August so what's the um, when do when do you finish? Is it is it August? Well, it, all, all we things being May. equal, all, we finish, finish in May. May. Yeah, May. So one academic year. And then I suppose the big question is, what's the plan? What's next? Do you know? That's the million dollar question. Yes. <laughs> um, I have a few. I have a few sort of options and ideas percolating. I think in the long run. I think in the long run, my my hope and, and plan at the moment is to come back to medicine. Um, mm-hmm. I do. I do really care about the clinical work and I think having that clinical uh, expertise and knowledge and experience regularly is really, really informative for doing public health work as well as just being really meaningful in and of itself. Um, But I haven't quite figured out the timing of when that will necessarily be. And so there are a lot of sort of, a lot of things I still want to learn and a lot of work I'd still like to do in the public health space, the non-clinical space, um, either before that happens or at the same time. So that's a bit of a vague and convoluted way of saying I, I haven't quite the exact timeline, but I think I have an idea of, of where it's going. It's good not to sometimes have a, a fixed plan. You can just go where the wind takes you. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Well, Jesse Schnall, a 2022 John Monash Scholar, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We wish you all the very best in the future. And from someone in Boston from to someone in Sydney, thank you and, uh, and good luck. Thank you so much. It's been great. Really appreciate it.